right, everyone, welcome to the first recorded episode of 2023 of Course of Action, and it is an awesome one. Uh, we have a fantastic guest on today, uh, uh, Amazon best-selling author um, of tons of books, which we're going to talk about, but um, Anna Willett, am I saying it correctly, Anna Willett? Yes, that's right. Perfect. Amazon best-selling author. Uh, I'm going to rattle off some of these. Um Unwelcome Guests, Small Town Nightmare, Savage Bay Nightmare. Uh, you have a horror, no horror novel named Pest, uh, The Family Man. Uh, Amazon number one new release was uh, Dear Neighbor, correct? Yes. And then you have a new one coming out called The Newlywed, which we're going to get into here in a little bit. But uh, I have to ask you, um, how is it going and how, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm really loving it at the moment. I'm on holidays. I'm writing. The weather's very, very hot. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hot here. Pretty hot yesterday. It looks like it's going to be hot again today. Beautiful. Went for a swim yesterday. Um, see, you're in Western Australia, right? Yes, that's right. Okay, so I'm in uh, Oklahoma. I don't know if you're familiar with the States. Um, that much. I, I have never been, but I, I know of it. <laughs> okay. Do you know where Texas is? Yes. Okay. So Oklahoma is just north of that. Oh, okay. So right. we're in, um, we don't get like the cold north weather, but we, we do get it. So we have an actual winter here. So right now it's like 41 degrees outside. Okay. I wonder what that is in my temperature. Probably, but what would that be about? Uh, it's cold. It's 10 degrees, 10 degrees away from freezing. Oh, okay. Right. Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah, I forget that, uh, I forget that we're like the only country that's in Fahrenheit. Everybody else is in Celsius <laughs> and the other, and the other, uh, you know, measurement system <laughs> that the United States is the only one doing it the, uh, the difficult way. Yeah. I should have looked it up so I would have known, but here yesterday it was 37. So. Okay, I want to say it's off like 70-something uh, between Celsius and Fahrenheit. So it's probably like, for us, it's, that's probably like in the 90s. That's pretty hot. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah close okay. to 100, I'd say, yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk about you. Um, where are you from? Um, How did you get into writing just a little bit? And kind of tell us about the, you know, how you grew up. Well, I grew up in Western Australia, but you can probably tell by my accent, I'm originally from Wales in the UK. So I came over to Australia with my family when I was six and went to school here in WA in Perth and university. I went to Notre Dame University. And then um, probably about 12 years ago, I, I'd always written short stories and things like that. But about 12 years ago, I decided to sort of take it seriously and write a novel. And the first novel I wrote was Pest, the horror one that you mentioned. Okay. So I sort of wrote that and then put it aside and didn't do anything with it. And then I wrote a thriller and I sent it out to a publisher, the book folks, and they got back to me pretty quickly and they wanted it. And so I, I pretty much stuck with the thrillers since then. Did you, uh, did you eventually release a pest or did you just kind of keep it under the table? No, I, I sort of rewrote it a 
about, when was that? Probably about six, seven years ago, I rewrote it and gave it to the book folks and they were pretty keen to publish it. Awesome. And since then? It must have been, it must have been about three years ago because I, one of the reasons I, I decided to bring it out from where it had been was that it was about a sudden outbreak of an strange virus. And I thought the timing's probably pretty good for this book, you know, with COVID and everything. Well, yeah, I mean, (laughs) what an awesome time. Uh, You know, it's, it's, um, it's odd because here in the States with publishing, um, you know, I had a friend, a good friend who's a, a thriller author and he does a lot of police and kind of crime. And when we're having kind of the issues here with um, law enforcement uh, and some of that was getting a lot of negative news, he was soliciting for agents and he got a lot of good feedback on his book. Like, oh, this is this is a great book. We love the storyline, but you know that we cannot take this on right now. Like a like a crime law enforcement type of book would not go over well in the United States right now because of all the negativity around law enforcement that we had at the time. And I mean, the litter are like, yeah, this is great, but we can't do it. And he he was just crushed, but I was like, Hey man, you know, I guess that is kind of the business. It goes in cycles Mm -hmm. though. So don't give up, but at least, you know, you have, you have something good and they like it. It's just timing, you know, and and bad timing just happens, unfortunately. it is it is what it is but yeah you know having a uh, pandemic like disease like book to come out i mean i also heard that um during the pandemic michael crichton's outbreak book did really well oh that's the old book isn't it yeah probably both of us yeah 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 i, I can say that in the book i think they called it something else um but yeah, it oddly enough during the pandemic, I heard that that book sold really well. Like they re-released a, a new print of it or something, and it did well. And I thought, well, that's strange. <laughs> yeah, I think the stand went off again as well. Well, that's good. Um, so let's talk about um, let's talk about Australia a little bit because I'm really really interested in um, you know you meet a lot of people who are from the bigger cities um, on like the East coast of mm. Australia where Sydney yeah. and more of the Melbourne. Like, your vacation in a tourist area, but you're from the West side of Australia. Yeah. What is that's it? right. What's the difference? What's like the climate difference in the two? Um, the climate difference from Victoria would be that, um, you know, we're pretty consistently hot for about seven months a year. And in Victoria, Melbourne, it can be cold in the morning, sunny in the afternoon and pouring with rain at night. So they always say they get all the seasons in one day. Um, yeah, it, it's pretty hot consistently here. The temperature in WA, it's probably not as hot as the Northern Territory, but um, in the Eastern States, Adelaide's pretty hot and Sydney, they all get hot, except for Tasmania doesn't really get hot. Um, Queensland's more subtropical than we are, but, um, and over the last, I'd say eight years, we're getting hotter all the time over here. A lot of the time it's over 40 degrees, 43 degrees, and you really can't go out. Yeah, I'm looking it up now on Google and the Google uh, Celsius to Fahrenheit. 
if it's 40 degrees Celsius there, it's 104 Fahrenheit here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And we're going to work when it's 43. Ooh. Wow. 43. Yeah. 109, almost 110. So that's yeah. hot. That's hot. Building sites, usually they let them close, but the rest of us have to go. Wow. And that's con yeah. and that's not consistent though. You said that's like the that's like the hotter part of the season. It is, but over the last few years we've been getting more and more days like that. Like this summer is mild for us. It was thirty seven yesterday, and that's mild for us at this time of the year lately. Wow. So this and we're all saying to each other, year, it's not too bad. It's not too hot. <laughs> <laughs> this time of the year here in the states, it's winter. Yeah for us so yeah. that's crazy that you're experiencing hot summer temperatures right now when we're experiencing you know cold that's just how big the world is it's kind of crazy yeah yeah it is crazy yeah the weather is getting very strange for sure that's weird so um is there a lot of surfing and things like that on the west coast like there is over on the east yeah yeah, and there's some pretty big, you know, international surf competitions here in Western Australia at Margaret River and places like that. But the the coast, I live quite well, very near the beach. There's always surfies out there, windsurfing, surfies. We call them yeah. surfies? <laughs> yeah, surfies, okay. yeah. We call them surfers here. I've never been surfing, but I want to, uh, I really want to visit um Australia and New Zealand one of these days I want to just kind of make a trip down to that part of the world um, and go see it because um, I really want to see just the beauty of it and the landscape of it but I also want to see like you know are some of the horror stories about Australia true about the big animals and and deadly animals sneaking up um, you know the snakes and big spiders and all that is, is all that stuff true or is it just uh, social media the spiders and the snake yeah that part's true and the sharks yep really? that's all true yeah okay, yeah the sharks because of you know we're surrounded by the ocean but really this spiders and snakes that's legit yeah like in the middle of suburbia you might not find a snake but i mean i've been driving and once crossed the road while i'm driving um a friend of mine works at a school that's quite near a bit of bushland and they have so many snakes they're always calling the, the guy out to come and get the snakes because um, like he was telling me, they were small snakes. And so the snake guy said, okay, so you've got dew guides here, which are really poisonous snakes and they've had young. So you'll have at least 30 of these small snakes. And because they're juvenile, they're very dangerous because when they bite, they don't know how much venom to release. So they, re they release the whole lot. And so they come in under the gaps under the doors into the buildings and he said the best thing to do is drop a beanbag on them okay and i said to my friends you go carry a beanbag around with you <laughs> exactly yeah because i've seen some of those my daughter went through this phase like a year or two ago where she was watching these uh like 72 most deadliest animals on uh, the discovery channel or something on netflix and she kept seeing all these animals she's like we're never going to australia dad ever it's beautiful it there were a lot of spiders my husband's friend a couple of weeks ago was bitten by a redback spider and he went to hospital there are a lot of spiders particularly this time of year i've been 
spraying a lot of them outside. And when we turn the aircon on after winter, we typically get spiders dropping out of it. But um, oh. <laughs> oh, I'm t- you know what I'm terrified of? Bears. The thought of bears in America terrifies me. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I think how how can you live somewhere where that huge creature could come out of the woods and kill you? So the thing about bears is, and I'm not a bear expert, but I've known I I have done some hunting before, and I know some guys who have who do more mountain hunting. And the thing about bears is, if you make sure that they know you're there, and that you're not posing a threat, and they can kind of like see you coming. They might not pay you any mind, but if they feel threatened or they're with their cubs, if you don't take notice of that and back out, then you're in trouble. But if you make yourself known, so a lot of guys when they go hiking in like the mountains and stuff, they'll, they'll have a bell on their belt. So when they're walking, it's just constantly making noise. Oh, okay. So for noise really helps. And, um, I lived kind of up in the mountains um, a couple of years ago, and that was one of the big things that I learned was if you go up there hiking, you know, um, wear, wear obviously protective stuff, um, take a weapon if you feel the need to, um, and wear some kind of noise maker that's consistent. So as you're walking along, you're not necessarily disturbing the wildlife, but like the bears, the um, the mountain lions, you know, things that are dangerous. Um, they know you're there and you're kind of like signaling to them, like I'm here. Um, and just be cautious and careful and don't interrupt wildlife. Don't approach them. Don't, don't take pictures or do anything stupid. But, um, I mean, people do get attacked by, I'm sure. I mean, just like, you know, sharks, you know, you're in territory, you're going to get a, you you run the risk of getting attacked. But, uh, if you're smart about it, but, um, yeah, it does happen for sure. Um, I've actually heard of more people getting uh, getting bitten by snakes uh, than getting you know, attacked by a bear. Because oh, really? the snakes here, especially like rattlesnakes here, um, they have that rattle on them to warn you. But if it's kind of last minute or you're walking right by them and they're startled, they don't have time to warn you. So they'll just strike. So they're camouflaged. You can't see them. You walk past them. You disturb them. And you're not looking at the ground when you're necessarily walking, you know, the whole time. That's people get bit by snakes here because um, because of that. It's so low to the ground. They can't see you coming. They're trying to hide. And, and not all snakes have a chance to warn you, and they will strike. Now, the good thing is that more mature snakes here, um, especially like rattlesnakes, um, they don't necessarily – they have more control over their venom glands, like you mentioned earlier about the baby snakes, you know. Um, so, we, I mean, you don't want to get bit by a rattlesnake by no means. It's one of the more deadly snakes. But, um, yeah, it does happen. Wow. Yeah, see, that's terrifying to me, the bears. I'll take the snakes and the spiders any day, but not the bears. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's fair. That's, so I'm, I'm assuming you guys don't have any kind of species of bear there. No, koala. <laughs> okay. Yeah, koala. Okay, I didn't think about that. Yeah, but that's about yeah, it. Yeah, drop we bears. Have... Some, some, some people call them drop bears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have we have a lot of different species of bear here. You know, even as further south as um, 
Texas is, there are bears, you know, and, and they surprisingly survive in very warm climates and, and find wow. ways of surviving. It's really pretty crazy. I mean, I think they're beautiful. I just terrified of them. Oh, sure. Mm. Yeah, you should definitely respect, you know, the animal because of what it's capable of doing. But yeah, um, it is, you, you know, you risk it for sure. I, I'm terrified of like sharks. Like I would never get in the open water. Oh, I really? Just, no, no, you'll never catch me in the open water. Like my wife wants to go dive with sharks and swim with dolphins one day. And I'm like, no, you'll never get me in the open water like that ever. I won't do it. Yeah, it is a bit scary out there. Yeah, they're massive animals. You're not supposed to be in there. You look like food. You're at the just a great, you know, the perfect biting height. You know, like no, I don't. Uh, I think no. sharks are fascinating, but I do not. Uh, I do not at all want to go into the open water uh, and dive with sharks. I don't want to dive. Period. I don't want to scuba dive. Period. Just because you can see forever. You're down there and you can see forever and you don't know what's going to approach you. How much time are you going to have to get out of there? Like, oh, that, that's yeah. me. Snorkeling is it, like WA is a beautiful place for snorkeling. It's absolutely gorgeous down there. Yeah. But you sort of always like looking out of the corner of your eye when you're down. If something moves, sure. it, it's a bit spooky. Yeah. But it's I, beautiful. I went it's snorkeling uh, one time. We went to the Bahamas uh, years ago. Um, and we went snorkeling, but we went snorkeling with like a um, big group of people, and then like three other boats came up with the groups of people. Um, and it's the first time I had snorkeled, so I was just trying to float on top of the water and keep my snorkel up there and figure out how to breathe without soaking in and sucking in half of the ocean into my lungs. <laughs> um, but it was still pretty fun. Like, I got to go down a little ways and come back up once I figured it out, and then it was over. But, um, there's so many people around that I wasn't as nervous about it. Uh, we were right next to yeah. a coral reef, and the instructor was down there diving and pointing stuff out, so we still got to see it. I just I just wasn't very good at it, but I think that's about as far as I'd go. Like I, Some of these guys like on the Discovery Channel and, and the TV that you see them you know, diving deep to go like explore caves and oh, stuff, no. Oh, no. No. you'll never catch me no. doing that. You couldn't pay me. No, there's too much out there. Yeah. There's a lot out there. Oh, no, no. So but let's you should definitely about... come to Australia. I yeah. think you'd enjoy it. It's okay. beautiful. And New Zealand, it's absolutely gorgeous yeah. there. I want to go to New Zealand really bad. So um, we've talked about doing some traveling here in a couple of years when our kids are a little more grown um, and, and kind of fend for themselves. Um, and, uh, and we have a bucket list of a couple of different places to go. And my wife wants to go see England and uh, London and all that. And uh, I kind of want to go to Scotland. But we both have been, oh, New Zealand would be an awesome place to go just to get away. It looks so beautiful. Yeah, it is and... beautiful. And they're very friendly as well. The Kiwis are very friendly people. We had a uh, basketball player here in Oklahoma on a professional basketball team uh, by Stephen Adams, and he was from New Zealand. And he was just oh, the wow. most polite guy yeah. in the world, <laughs> like was just – was just a fantastic guy. Like when they traded him and he went to another team, I was just so mad. I mean, he, he was a nice guy. So I believe it. I believe it a hundred percent that uh, the yeah. New Zealanders are probably just amazing people. Yeah, they are. They're very friendly. It's, it feels, it doesn't look so much like Australia, but it feels like you're still in Australia because they'll even take Australian money there when you're there. And they're also welcoming and nice. And it's like Australia, but not, 
Okay. Okay. So let's talk about uh, you and your writing. How did you uh, first kind of get into writing? You said your first book was was Pest, and you wrote some short stories. Um, but what? when did you first put pen to paper and say, I'm going to be a writer, I'm going to be an author? Um, even when I was in primary school, I used to write short stories for my own enjoyment in my own time. But then, you know, you get married and you have kids and you're studying and you're working. So it's sort of something I put on hold. And then probably about 10, 12 years ago, I had double knee surgery and I was at home for a long time. So I thought I might just try and write a short story. And then I got back into it and it really got me hooked. And I thought, no, I'm going to write a novel and I'll take it seriously. And then uh, that's when Pest came along? Yeah, that's when I wrote Pest. And it took me quite a long time to write the first one, but then the second one happened a lot quicker. And as I say, that got picked up by the first publisher I sent it to. So from from there on, I've written at least two every year since then, sometimes wow. three. So uh, what is it like writing two to three books a year? Because I'm struggling to get through one. <laughs> and you're writing two to three that's amazing um look it's something i'm used to doing and i do it almost every day and you know it's, it's always there in the back of my mind and and things come to me and then i'll go off and write and i probably prefer evenings late afternoons evenings for writing but it's just something i do every day and i think i'd be a little bit lost without it if i didn't have that going all the time Okay. Okay. So the workload is, is manageable to crank out two to three books a year for you. Do you ever worry about, um, oversaturation of with two to three books or what is the kind of the market like there by putting out two to three books a year? My market's mostly in the UK and America. Okay. Yeah. It, it seems to work. A lot of my books are standalone, so you sort of really need to write more standalone to keep that going. Sure. At the moment, Newlywed is part of a series that I've been writing, so that I've slowed down a little bit to two books a year with that because the police procedurals take me quite a bit longer than the other types of thrillers. Like some of my other thrillers are domestic, noir, action, suspense thrillers. Um, so going to the crime procedural thriller it takes me longer because i do a lot more research what's the research like um knowing your audience is in the uk and the united states what's the research like for you to try to have to you know research what is going to make sense in those two markets from australia yeah, yeah. It's easier for the UK because the Australian justice system and police system and everything is very, very similar because, of course, ours is based on theirs. Right. Um, for the American market, I think it's quite different in that we have, you know, one police force for the whole of Western Australia and one police commissioner. And so the laws are the same in every part of Western Australia and the police force is the same. So I think it's different for them, for American readers in that way. But also I think it's probably interesting to read about how it's done in a country that's so completely different. 
but yeah. there's, you know, I still feel like it's important that I have to be quite accurate about what I'm writing about. And I'm lucky that I know an ex-police detective very well. And so I run a lot of things past him. I send him emails. I talk to him about it and I say, you know, is this authentic? What would they do in this situation? Is this the language they would use? What would they do about a warrant for that? You, you know, so I'm lucky I have that as well. Okay. Yeah. It always helps to have um, someone that, you know, uh, that can connect you back to kind of what you're writing with. And that's something that I've learned um, going to some of the big conferences here and talking to some other authors like yourself um, and just saying, you know, how do you, how do you connect with something that you have no idea about? And that's mm. one, probably the biggest thing is find people who do. And yeah. by doing this podcast, I've, I've, I've reached out to so many people. Now I know people in the CIA or former CIA intelligence. I was military myself, so I have a lot of military connections. Um, But I've met people in law enforcement and in different parts of the government who have done contracting work over like Afghanistan. So, you know, I have some of those multicultural contexts. You know, now I know you. If I ever had something to do with Australia, I know who I'm calling. You know, so looking for something on Perth. <laughs> so it's it's that's been that's been a big thing is is having those contacts and never being afraid to pick up the phone or send an email saying, "Hey, can you read this or can you check this out or does this make sense to you?" Um, but yeah, that's interesting how um, writing for different cultures. I never really thought about that. But if you're writing here, how do you make it make sense? Or maybe you don't make it make sense. And this the reader just understands, oh, this yeah. is more of a, a UK type of thing. And they roll with it. Because I know I've read some international books that I was like, I don't know. I don't know what this agency is that they just mentioned, but I have a feeling, you know, that it's something to do with law enforcement or intelligence, or whatever it is. And you just kind of keep rolling into it. Yeah, I mean, there are a few things that I've had to change a few. For example, it's just small things in Perth and in the UK as well. If you went somewhere, um, a school, a police station, you would call it the car park. But I've had to change it to parking lot because I know the implication is different if I use the term car park. Mm. So my publisher... As I have to consistently call it parking lot, which is something we would never do here. Mm-hmm. It's okay. just little things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And my publishers, like in, yeah, my publishers in London, and so um, oftentimes he'll come back and say, "I don't know what this thing is that you're talking about, and I can't find it on on the internet, and you know, I have to tell it." Oh, it's a type of chocolate bar that's exclusive to Australia. And, you know, it's little things like that. Okay. Okay. So um, Amazon bestselling author. You've had some really great success. We mentioned them earlier on Unwelcome Guests, uh, Small Town Nightmare, Savage Bay Nightmare, uh, The Horror Novel Pest, The Family Man, uh, a number one new release in Dear Neighbor. But now... Now you have the new book, um, and it's probably going to be out by the time this is released. Um, But it's called The Newlywed, and I'm going to put it up here on the screen so you can chat about it. But let's talk about The Newlywed, the cold case mysteries number three. Um, So what is 
without giving it away, uh, let's talk about what the book is about a little bit. Okay, so the book is really about a woman named Jane Wilson. So it begins with her and she's newly married and she's traveling with her husband, Richard, to a little town that's north of Perth to meet his twin brother for the first time. And Jane disappears without a trace. They enter the town and Jane disappears and it becomes one of those great unsolved mysteries. And so the husband obviously is the first suspect, but as time goes on, the case is never solved. And so then seven years later, we go to the cold case with Veronica Pope, um, Detective Inspector Veronica Pope and her team at the Special Crime Squad investigating what actually happened to Jane Wilson. Okay, so what did you do uh, kind of in preparation for this one? This is a cold case number, or cold case mysteries number three. Mm. Um, what was it like now that you've done one or two and it's time to kind of, how do you keep it fresh? Well, each one of those books, not, not the woman behind her, but the family man and the newlywed, it's a, I take a little bit, a tiny little bit from a famous unsolved crime or solved crime in Western Australia. And it's just that little bit of it I use and then I take it in my own direction. Mm. Okay, okay. Um, let me ask you this. Um, what draws you to the mystery and thriller series with Cold Case and, and things like that? What kind of draws you to that? Well, I'm fascinated by true crime. I, I watch podcasts. I watch a lot of true crime programs. I've read a lot about it, and I've always been really interested in it. Even when I was a teenager, I was fascinated by the whole thing. Um, when I was in school, a friend, well, a classmate, a, you know, she was a friend, but she was a classmate, um, was abducted and vanished. And it was a huge, one of the biggest cases here in Western Australia ever. And so, um, yeah, that kind of, I think I was, when I was 14, that kind of was what triggered me over into this fascination. And so she remained missing for nine years before her body was discovered. And yeah, and um, yeah, I think that got me fascinated with the true crime thing. And also I've always been a fan of things that are a little bit dark, a little bit creepy, a little bit edgy. I prefer that. I'm not a feel good movie sort of person That's fair. or a feel good book. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. I love I love true crime as well. Have you heard of mm. the uh, Murder With My Husband podcast? Can you say that again? The Murder With My Husband podcast. No, no, okay. I haven't. You need to look it up. Murder With My Husband. It's um, just a young couple who the wife is obsessed with true crime. She loves it. Her husband cannot stand it. So they did a podcast where she sits there and she tells him about a, like a true case and she does all the research and all the details and she sits there and she tells him about it and films his reactions. So he doesn't like true crime, but he's sitting there while she's feeding him the story and he's like, oh my God, what are they going to do? Like, it's great. It's exploded here in the United States. You got to look it up. Murder with my wow. husband. 
and um, I'm with my husband. yeah, you'll probably find it on YouTube and, and, and all that, but, um, yeah, huge podcast. Um, we listen to it all the time because it's just so interesting. I mean, they take real cases or unsolved cases, uh, or kind of heinous cases where somebody is brutally murdered or whatever. And, and they talk about it, but they also do a really, really good job of, um, kind of honoring the victim a little in a way that they're not just using the podcast to get likes and shares and views and all that, but in a way of saying like this person's story kind of deserves to be told. And yeah. there's a lot of horrific things that have happened and, but it's a really good podcast. You, you would love it a hundred percent. It sounds like my kind of thing because I do like reaction podcasts and things like I like people's reactions to things they've never seen before and I do love true crime so it seems like the marriage of the two things I really enjoy yeah you'd like it murder with my husband it is it is good I'm stuff. gonna give that a look yeah definitely it's good stuff because it's right up your alley in true crime and we watch true crime all the time uh, on all the streaming services that we have here yeah. Netflix and Hulu and all that and, uh, I can't get enough of it uh, I've kind of dipped into a little bit of some ideas of true crime stories writing um and just kind of toss it around um i don't know i don't know if i ever get there if i just kind of like the enjoyment of uh of it but um i really like john grisham he's a huge yes. uh, true crime you've heard him love yeah, oh, yeah. Grisham. love him and um i really admire those kind of books because you know it takes a lot to talk about some of those things especially when it gets into some of the more sensitive subjects um but that's some of the stuff is true things like you said you take a little bit of, of something yep. true and then, and then you run with it to build your story so um yeah how did the uh let's talk about the newlywed again how did the new the idea for the newlywed come about when did you kind of get that idea and say ah, i have my idea for this one um it's probably yeah over a year ago I got the idea for it. And like I say, it's it's influenced by a very famous case here in Western Australia of a wife that went missing, but she was found, she'd been murdered and no one has ever been charged with her murder. And so that kind of, I've always been very interested in that case. I know a lot of Western Australians are and, I, and I've thought about it a lot. And then um, the fictional town of Seabreak where the newlywed takes place, it's based on a real town or a few towns in that area. And I've been there a number of times on holiday. And so just that setting with it so coastal and so windy and, you know, being small, yeah, it was sort of like it came together with the idea I had for this woman to go missing. So um, comes out here in January, right? Yeah, January tenth. January tenth. Um, what did uh, what was it like, kind of uh, moving into a new series? You know, you got these cold, uh, the cold case mysteries. Um, you know, you write two to three books a year, and you kind of bounce back and forth. What do you do as an author to kind of maintain your vision when you're having to maybe kind of bounce back and forth, or? you're writing something you go oh i just got an idea that applies to something way over here how do you kind of keep it on the narrow yeah that happens to me a lot i have a lot of ideas and usually by the time i'm three quarters of the way through a book i've got a burning idea 
on the back burner that I have to keep on the back burner and put somewhere with all the other burning ideas. So it's it gets hard for me to focus at three quarters of the way through because I've always got so many other things that I want to turn my attention to. But on the other hand, when I get to about 35, 40,000 words, I can't stop thinking about it. And I, you know, I'll think, oh, I'll, I'll do a little bit of writing this afternoon and I'll write, I'll go do something else. I'll need to go back. There's something, write some more. And then as it's building, I'm pretty much can't stop writing. You're invested. Yeah. But at the same time, in that period of time, I'm very confused. If I go to the shops, I can't find my car or I'm trying to get in someone else's car. I can't remember words like door and things like that because so much of my mind is very far away. Okay. <laughs> That's a tough place to be in. <laughs> Luckily it happens every time. So I know it's not dementia. I know it's the writing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would be horrible. <laughs> okay, one last big question, and uh, I've been trying to ask authors this a lot more often lately, is um, do you look at the reviews uh, on Amazon and of different retailers of your books, uh, or do you ignore them? No, I look at them. Yeah. I'm very interested to find out what people think of the book, if they like the book, if they don't like the book. I know it's it can be a bit crushing when you get horrible reviews, but normally I'm fine with bad reviews. It's sort of like, okay, well, that's good. It adds validity to the good ones. You can tell it's they're not all written by my friends and family because sure. it's sprinkled with, yeah. And it's not for everyone. You know, you've got to understand as a writer that your books are just not for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, you're going to write something that somebody disagrees with or doesn't like, or yeah. they're going to pick up your one of your books for the first time to check you out, and they're just going to say, it's not for me. Um, and something yeah. I used to tell uh, some of my friends, my friends were in a lot of music production, and they were doing, creating, you know, writing a lot of songs, and they're like, you know, people aren't going to like this. And I was like, yeah, of course they are. There's going to be tons of people who don't like it. Yeah. You know what? The average human being, if they have something nice to say, might say something so and then the average human being that has something bad to say probably won't it's those small percentage of people who just feel like they need to be mad at the world who will yes. go out there and try to hurt somebody like what yes. good does your review do by jumping on amazon and bashing a book and saying how much you yeah. hated it what good what good does it do for you or anybody else in the world not that people no. shouldn't express their opinion, but really, yeah. you know, if you don't have something nice to say, then shut your mouth. Exactly. I never write negative reviews for books oh, because I feel like people, this is people have poured their heart and soul into it yes. and I'm not going to step on their dreams. If I don't, can't think of something nice to say, I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. But, you know, I, I don't mind if someone says, you know, uh, it wasn't for me or it didn't go where I wanted it to go. Sure. In fact, I can even laugh about it, but um, when people tell outright lies in their reviews, oh, destructive yeah. lies, that's the only time I get a little bit upset. Oh, yeah. Or they uh, they give you a, like a one-star review because the shipping wasn't very good. It came in broken. Yeah. Like, that's not the author's fault. 
That is no. not the author's fault. That is Amazon or whoever's fault or, yeah. or even UPS or the delivery driver. That's their fault. Don't exactly. knock the author for that. I hate it when people do that. I, I had a couple too. of friends that were that got some negative reviews on their books because they're like literally in the in the comp they're blaming the delivery driver almost by name, and they gave me a and one so star review. And it's like people oh. don't realize what that does for authors nowadays, especially with all the algorithms and stuff. Like these different platforms push out advertisement to help them sell products including books but they won't do it if you have negative reviews so you're no. not helping anything by i mean i only look at reviews on things if it's something that i'm questioning um yeah you know household products and certain things i'm not necessarily looking at deep deep down reviews like on books like if it's got yeah. several good reviews and people are saying they like it, I'm going to give it a chance. But if I'm looking for something like a household cleaner to get like a really tough stain out, I'm scrolling deep through the yeah. reviews to see like, did this really work? You know, did people have any problems with it? What are the plus and minuses? You know, buying a new kitchen appliance, something like that. But Precisely, yeah. But book reviews, if you didn't like it, yeah. then just don't like it. <laughs> don't and and there, the people, people. that that leave a one-star review because they've heard about your book and would never read it and say in the review, I'm leaving one star because I would never read this book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can still laugh about those. It's um, I had a bad experience where someone wrote a review and said that I'd spent four pages describing animal cruelty on a dog and I hadn't done that in the book. I'm a dog lover. I'd said, oh, my dog looked over. I, I'd said in the book that someone had mutilated a dog, but I hadn't described it in any way at all. And then someone wrote that I spent four pages describing it. And it really hurt me. And, yeah, that as an animal lover and, you know, I'm involved in a lot of animal charities, that, oh, that was how they got me. Yeah. So last thing, the newlywed comes out here in January 2023. People should go pick it up great book if you like true crime you like true crime podcasts um uh, and you like that genre this is for you as well as some of the other books that we've mentioned that will be in the show notes so people will be able to check them out uh the last big question i have for you is uh where can they find more about you social media websites all that good stuff okay so i have a website so you can find me if just Type in Anna Willett and you'll find my website. Obviously, I'm on Amazon, but I'm also on BookBub, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and Goodreads, of course. But, yeah, if you can go over to Instagram if you want to see all the quirky things that go on in my life as well as writing books because there's a lot of other things I put on there, but a lot of pictures of my dog and things I cook and things like that and my books. But, yeah, so you can find me on all those places. Excellent. And go pick up, uh, or go pre-order or order a copy of The Newlywed and then go check out Unwelcome Guests, Small Town Nightmare, Savage Bay Nightmare, Horror Novel Pest, The Family Man, and of course that Amazon number one release, Dear Neighbor. Uh, this yes. was Anna Willa. And thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, I really appreciate you and best of luck in those high temps there in Australia. 